Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin Williams. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, we host guest Michael Sutton. Michael is the founder and owner of Kind Home Solutions, a residential painting company based in Denver, Colorado. In this episode, Michael discusses how he has reached over $9 million in annual revenue in under five years of business. Michael runs through his company's story year by year since its founding in 2018 and outlines how he achieved $2.2 million in his first year alone. Approaching his company with a very different mindset from most other painting company owners has allowed Michael to achieve a growth rate few people could have imagined. In addition to high revenue, Michael breaks down how he has managed to be awarded Denver Business Journal's best place to work while achieving over 50% gross margin on his painting projects. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Michael, thank you for coming on round two for the Paint Marketing Mastermind podcast, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Really excited to uh, talk today. Yeah, I'm excited too. So I'm going to, I'm going to dive in, Michael. This is, I'm extremely excited for this episode. You and I were connecting some before the recording and you're growing a little bit slow right now. I think we, we did a, a recording last year. Uh, you were at a, a paltry 6.4 million after having been in business for close to four years. So I'm not really sure what you were doing. And then now, where are you now? What's, what's your projected revenue? Oh, somewhere falling in that eight to 10 million range. Um, probably closer to, to nine right there in the middle. Yeah. So the growth has definitely stagnated for you. So we're going to see if we can figure <laughs> out, you know, how we could, how we can get you to 50 million by next year. That would be, uh, amazing and yeah. accelerating the timeline. Yes. So, um, yeah, as Jason Paris says, get compressing time. So you are, under five years in business and you are projected to do close to $10 million. What's your secret? Um, what would be the secret of that? Uh, having amazing people and, and having a, a, an incredible team around us um, and really focusing on the people who have made this happen because it certainly was not me. Uh, I just happened to be in this chair 
and I could easily have been in another one. Um, I would say it's certainly the people on the team and, and keeping them here and keeping them happy. So that's. All right. So, you know, I'm not going to let you off that easy, Michael. So the, the, you're humble, you're a very humble guy. Um, the having the right team is obviously super important. Let's say you're, you're, let's maybe, I guess, back up and let's go into a little bit about your history, kind of what you did before you started kind home solutions, why you started it. And what were the first few steps that you took when you started your business? Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs would say this, but I've always been a serial entrepreneur. It's something that, you know, driving deep inside of me, uh, I, I share this story a lot, but I remember in second grade, uh, choosing a spelling word and I chose entrepreneur as that spelling word. Dude, that's uh, awesome. And that was second, second grade. grade. So um, and it was an idea of who you are and the ability to uh, support people around you and to, to pour into other people. Um, and I always, it was one of those things where if I, if, what, if it wasn't going into entrepreneurship and running a business, I wanted to go into the, the ministry. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor and he led um, a church and, and poured into people and he loved them. And uh, it's a similar type of ability that we're placed as a head of a company where you can really support and love the people around you and take care of them and um, very similar types of, of work where it's just taking care of the team around you while they do their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I spent most of my twenties trying to start a company and figure out something that I could do. I uh, ended up in Colorado and uh, ran out of money and uh, ended up getting a job working for a painting company. And uh, it was a very, very tiny painting company. Uh, worked for them for a year. Then I worked for a much larger painting company for um, some time and really got in, engaged inside of the sales aspect of talking about paint and talking about application and um, learning the industry. Um, and then when I went out on my own, I had a few key employees that joined and started fast slowed down and now we're in a position where we can speed up again. So, so you, you came, I guess, leading into your, in kind home solutions, you really had a sales background. You were conducting the sales for a bigger painting company. Yeah. Yep. Do you think that that was a critical factor in your success? It was a critical factor in understanding a plan. Uh, and there's, um, I think everyone says that you, you learn through repetition, right? How many hours does it take to master something mm-hmm. crazy amount? Um, 10, was it 10,000, 10, which I think now 10, being debated as maybe that's too low, but it's a lot of hours. <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of hours. And, and I talked to uh, new salespeople on my team where it's, Hey guys, you, you have to put in the reps and you have to put in the practice. Asking for the business is not a simple thing. And the first time you sit down, um, I have a, a gentleman on uh, my team. I'm going to share his story. Um, he uh, was running a painting company for himself for the last year. And uh, he reached out to me and said, I, I would, are you hiring right now? I, I think I want to come work for you. I said, what? You've got your own business, man. And he said, yeah, I'm just in this like weird limbo of a place where I don't know when to hire my first employee. I'm working seven days a week. I have no personal life. <laughs> I'm the really dream. the dream. 
<laughs> yeah, the dream. Uh, and it, I feel like it's a common story that you hear. And he says, look, I just want to be a part of a team. I want to work with people who I enjoy and I want to be able to take a weekend off and not feel like I'm letting my company down. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, can I come do sales for you? And I said, yeah, let's do it. Um, I'll help train you and, uh, you can work with our sales manager and we'll get you into a spot. And, uh, the first time he sat down and went to present a quote, he left and he goes, Oh my God, I have not been doing sales for the last year. I have been writing quotes and dropping them off for clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not done what you just asked me to do ever, wow. which means I've got no experience doing this, Michael. You think we can still get successful? Absolutely. You broke a hundred grand last month in sales. You will be successful. Wow. Yeah. Man, so. That's great. So what are, what are some of the, let's dive into this. You know, when, when he's writing estimates, writing quotes and dropping those off versus what you're doing, what's the difference? Uh, we spend a couple hours with every client. We talk about the scope of their work. We present our numbers on the spot a hundred percent of the time. We don't email a quote to somebody on the back end. Uh, I, I truly believe that if you're going to have a successful project, it starts with a good open line of communication and to establish that relationship with the client from day one is, is so important to, uh, the client experience. So, and it also helps build value. (laughs) Sure. So yeah, the, the, I mean, that's definitely a bit unique, you know, some companies do it. Most don't this presenting the the quote and, and everything on the spot. Do you guys, are you guys big into itemizing? How do you guys, and then throughout your process, how do you kind of build that value so that when you, when you do present the price, you can avoid sticker shock or, or people not seeing the value there? I think sticker shock's going to happen. Uh, like occasional person will have a heart attack. It's just, you know, <laughs> occasional, yeah. you know, we've seen tears. We've been, have you really? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, this year uh, oh, wow. we've been cursed out and, Really? In tears. Because it, it, was, it was higher than they thought it was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Goodness. Um, and when people don't have a clue and they have no idea what it might take, then um, there can be a lot of shock when you show somebody a $10,000 quote sure. for painting their interior. And sure. they said, I was thinking it would be like 500 bucks. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah. Just 20 times that. That's 20. Yeah. Yeah. So you, do you guys have any sort of, I guess, disqualification process to try to minimize how often that happens or what does your sales process look like initially? We do send a decent amount of information uh, out to our clients ahead of time. Uh, I have videos online for how much it costs to paint an exterior. I show houses in there. I give prices of what we actually charge for that house. I talk about calculating number of gallons and amount of trim and uh, prep work and how much we charge for wood replacement. Uh, and I have it written and a video about it, which we send every client ahead of time. You send it to them. Absolutely. So before we get there, I'm hoping that they have educated themselves somewhat on what to expect. Um, you find that a lot of them have? Yeah, absolutely. I'd probably say 40, 30 to 40%, uh, really do the research and, and take the tools that we give them and use them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, 
and, and I would love to see that number go up. There's a, a book by a gentleman named Marcus Sheridan, and it's called They Ask You Answer. It's a marketing book, right? In your world, Brandon. Yeah. Um, and Marcus Sheridan is uh, amazing. And he talks about assignment-based selling and trying to teach somebody, give them an assignment before you come out. And his company, they won't even meet with you to present a quote if you don't complete the assignment prior to the estimate. Interesting. Now, now, do you think he sells, you, what does he sell? He sells pools with an average ticket of $50,000. Okay. I sell paint jobs with an average ticket of $8,000. Right. Uh, slightly different, but my goodness, uh, still quite the investment. Have you, um, I mean, having read that book, do you think that the psychology there is more an educational component or is it more, um, is, is there sort of a sunk cost kind of they've invested into your business now and therefore it's going to increase your close rate? Uh, psychology component to it? A little bit of both. Mm. Um, there's a, a statistic from the book. I'm going to butcher it. So this falls in line with the made up statistics. Um, <laughs> but something along the lines of uh, when somebody read and consumed the full assignment prior to his uh, appointment, he would have a, I want to say an 85% closing ratio on a $50,000 pool. Wow. And without completing the assignment, he had an 18% closing ratio. Wow. Uh, and he spent several years testing this and now they have a strict policy of, we don't meet with you unless you do your homework. Um, so I think it's just a really empowering, uh, the homeowners and, and our potential clients, um, about, what to know within the industry, what makes a good quote versus a bad quote? What are the differences that you'll see? Um, what are the things to be aware of? So we just, we try to educate our clients out before we get there to, yeah. to minimize that sticker shock and to understand what to expect during this process. For sure. So have you guys, so, so you guys, are you doing the assignment based selling now or are you sending the videos and you oh. hope that they watch? <laughs> I'm hoping I'm yeah. living on a dream versus, yeah. uh, fully committing. Sure. Um, what is your, what is your close rate currently? Year to date, all services, 43 point something. Nice. And are you guys, do you know where you fall within the market in terms of if you charge higher than average ticket value, kind of what percentage higher you are? I think it's challenging to, to know for sure. Um, and, uh, even from places within the city, you see a little bit of a difference. Um, sure. a, a lot of, uh, in the Denver market, we have multiple branches of a lot of different companies and, you know, just because the Serta pro here and the Serta pro here are both quoting your house. Doesn't mean that you're going to see, um, quite always the same price. Um, right. some companies are larger and from estimator to estimator, you may not see the same price. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I think we talked about this last time. If you asked my sales team, we're the most expensive, but I think everyone's sales team would say the same. Yeah. Most, most expensive, you're the highest quality. It, it's always the, the top of the top and always every, every uh -huh. company you talk to. It's amazing how um, many companies are, are like that out there. <laughs> every market stats, has... I can't reconcile it in my head, but I guess it's true. <laughs> um, we, uh, we survey all of our clients at the end of the project and we ask them, why did you choose us over other options? Nice. And 
uh, the most common answer price. So they chose you because you're lower. No, no. <laughs> huh? Is, tell me that that's not interesting. Um, so you lose the ones that people say, uh, I went with somebody because you were like crazy price. You were $2,000 more than the, the other company. You were $3,000 more. You're not even close. Right. So you hear that from the ones you lose, but then the ones you win the number one response. And it's about 35% of the time they mention price as a primary reason. Um, mm. and potentially price is not price, just the cheapest, but prices and the perceived value that sure. you receive for that price. So, um, and we don't differentiate. It's an open-ended question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they do just pretty much say price. And I have to say, well, maybe it's because of value, right? Maybe it's this because our average exterior paint job is about Mm -hmm. $7,000, um, which is above average here. Yeah. Do you guys have a, a certain gross profit percentage you're aiming for in your projects? Uh, it, it varies depending upon service. So, um, we do woodwork and gutters for clients. Uh, those have different margins in our interiors and our exteriors. Um, and what I have found over time, I was aiming for too low of a gross margin. Um, and um, learning that uh, it takes more margin to run a business than I really thought it did. Right. Are you trying to get to kind of that 50% level at this point? Um, at this point, I'd like to be a little bit higher. Really? Higher All services. Yeah. Great. That would be great. Uh, I met with a gentleman um, a couple of years ago. Uh, he's actually an uncle of mine. And at one point he ran, uh, he was the CEO of a national uh, HVAC company. Oh, wow. And he said, uh, he has all of, um, on every one of his quotes, he, you know, this is how we calculate the price and you divide your labor and your materials by 0.42. Mm-hmm. And when technicians would call and they'd say, well, why are we always dividing this by 0.42? And he goes, don't, don't worry about that. That's, that's what we need. Well, yeah. that's a 58% margin that mm-hmm. they were shooting for, um, to run a national HVAC company. Um, and I think I underestimated, uh, dreaming in the beginning that you could do this off something like 40, 45, even 50, if you're really going to have the right people in the right positions and be able to support a client in every step of this process, you need margin. Yeah. Yeah. Revenue, uh, is vanity. Profit is sanity. Profit's really the fuel, fuel of your company, lifeblood of your company. Mm -hmm. Um, when, so when you guys are, are trying to get these higher than average margins, would you say that you're doing that primarily through charging above market prices or through trying to be more efficient in your operations? Both. Uh, now that I, I think one of the things you hear common in business is, um, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to become profitable by pinching pennies. Yeah. Um, and if we try to control our expenses, what we can make a, a two, three, five percent growth. But if I want to move the needle 15%, you're not going to do that by cutting internally. Mm-hmm. You're only going to do that by understanding your numbers and making sure that you're charging accordingly for it. Um, and I've 100% tried to move our needle and, uh, we've moved it over 15% in two years, not by 
uh, going after our painters and charging our guys less. I've mm-hmm. given them raises uh, officially twice a year over the last two years. Um, and certainly not by going after our vendors and demanding a lower price on our product. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to happen internally uh, for the sales team and our project managers or, or people who bring up price complaints and say, you know, if you guys want to charge less, I can pay you less. Right. Which would you prefer to charge what we need to pay you what you asked for or charge less? Yeah. So uh, we've tried to do it by, by knowing our numbers and, and getting to the right price point to manage our, our costs internally. Sure. Now, do you operate with W2 or subcontractor painters? Primarily subs. Okay. And now, you're giving those subs raises twice per year. Yeah. Okay. And it, it, we run it based off of, you know, um, a couple of alternative things so I can show them, you know, their historical data of what was a house a year ago versus a house now. Um, and how much did you make with me last year? How much are you going to make this year? Mm-hmm. Et cetera. Um, what's your average home cost over the, you know, 20, 30 projects you did for me. And here's your new average home cost. How's that feel? Good. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Showing them that progression. That mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that's oftentimes lacked within the sub model, uh, is that they're not looking at these subs as partners versus, uh, the way that Sherwin Williams views my relationship. Mm-hmm. And Sherwin views me as a, a partner in business and they treat me like a partner. But I feel as though many of the painters, painting companies out there, they don't look at their subs like they were partners. Yeah. They yeah, look at them a, as an asset. Yeah. Kind of a, a churn and burn. You know, what, what can you get for how much do you have to pay to get it? Um, as opposed to, I guess, kind of trying to build that loyalty and, uh, and then you kind of painting a picture of what you're providing them and the improvements and and I would assume kind of what they can expect moving forward if you guys continue to work together. Absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, I think that's just general, you know, how, how you need to win, you know, and I think, I don't think it's just subs either. I think a lot of, I think in the PCA, the, the companies are generally much better about it, but I think in the industry overall, um, it's how a lot of painting companies treat employees, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of what, what can I get out of you? Don't be drunk, you know, don't show up high. And, uh, and just paint and, and I'll pay you this much an hour. And, and that's the relationship, but obviously that's a, it's not a good relationship. Mm-mm. We're, um, we will be making the announcement, uh, really soon, but we actually just, uh, got awarded, um, to me the most exciting award we've gotten yet, but it was a uh, Denver business journal, best places to work. Uh, wow. I could not be more proud of it. That um, is so cool. Congratulations. Ranking, <laughs> ranking hasn't happened yet, but you don't hear much about that from the painting industry. Um, and I think it's really goes down to that mentality of are people assets or are they, you know, partners, right. Um, internally or externally, uh, I'm certainly not in a position where I want to look at turning and burning a salesperson, a project manager, um, an office person, any of those roles, they're so critical to be filled and somebody who is exceedingly good at what they do. Gosh, uh, they have, they bring a ton of value to a company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you're kind of laying out the, the roadmap for success here. You know, you have to get the margins 
don't ignore your margins. You have to get the margin and you chose to do it not by trying to stiff or squeeze your vendors or, or your employees or subcontractors, but by providing the value and value-based selling um, to customers, you know, making mm-hmm. sure you're meeting that. And then that's not enough for you to pay them well. Uh, you also show them what you're doing. It kind of, you kind of, I guess, sell the dream or pitch the vision to them, show kind of vision. what they can expect if they continue to partner with you and work with you. So people are excited about it. It's not just, mm-hmm. Oh, I got to go to work and he'll give me these dollars. I go to work and he'll give me these dollars. You know, it's people don't want to feel like they're on a hamster wheel. They want to feel like they're going somewhere. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't think um, people view subcontractors that way. They're fine to just put them on the hamster wheel and think that, well, that they're subcontractors. They should be happy on the hamster wheel. Nobody's happy on the hamster wheel. No. And uh, if anyone has ever subcontracted, you've gone through the nightmare. You've, you've had a, a painter who said, I'm a phenomenal painter. I've done, I've got 20 years of experience. I'm good. Yeah. And you put them on a house and what you see is not great. Yeah. Um, and the <laughs> amount of, the amount of stress that uh, accompanies that is, uh, it's why I think a lot of painting company owners, uh, give up or a lot of project managers give up mm-hmm. because, uh, they feel like they're constantly in a position of trying to find the right people and under delivering on their expectations and constantly cleaning up. Mm-hmm. And that happens when you don't have consistent labor who, know the expectations that you're setting to the client, know your personal standards within your company and the standards that your clients will expect. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you don't have that developed, it makes being a project manager or a paint company owner infinitely more difficult. Uh, when there's drips all over somebody's roof. Yeah. Or, that's stressful. It's, it's fun. Um, we went up to a house the other day and, uh, saw somebody's house that was painted with like a eight foot circle on the top. And we said, what, what's that? Helipad. Uh, <laughs> and they go, Oh yeah. My last painter spilled a gallon of paint up there and then painted my roof to hide it. Whoa. Oh, so you just painted a circle. Yeah. You tried to blend it. Wow. That's really something. That's um, the kind of stuff that elevates the industry. um i replaced uh i've replaced two roofs man so uh, a little bit difference of approach on how do you handle the situation uh last year back-to-back days uh what are the chances of this back-to-back days i had a hose on a sprayer blow up on a roof oh my goodness didn't happen once it's a rough two days man (laughs) part of it (laughs) So you, so you then, what did you, you contracted with a roofing company and uh, on your dime, you replaced the roof. Absolutely. Without hesitation. Man, Uh, that's what you call making it right. That's making it right. Yeah, it was ugly. Um, And uh, the neighbor actually got a free paint job too. Man, you took, you took a dive, but in the meantime, you protected your reputation and you also demonstrated to your employees how you do business and how you treat your customers. Absolutely. And it wasn't a stressful two days. <laughs> it was not. Uh, no. And, and I think that's half the battle. Um, when you have employees who are coming into the office and air quotes, tragedy strikes. Um, and if I were to run the stress and to, to show like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I can't believe this just happened. Poor us. That becomes painful for all of the people inside of that building. But it was, um, it's part of what we do. Um, 
and we're lucky enough. I actually do roofing. Uh, we don't do very many roofs, 20 to 30 a year. Mm. So it was easy for me to fix. Nice. Yeah. I think that that point is such a good one though, about you as the leader, you kind of, you, you don't kind of, you dictate how the company responds to things, how resilient the company is and mistakes are going to happen. Bad stuff's going to happen. As you grow your business, no matter what business you grow, bad things will happen to you and to your company. And it's how you choose to respond that dictates uh, what kind of company you have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You, did I just see a dog run by? <laughs> yes. That was Teddy. Uh, he just got here. Come here, bud. Amazing. Um, yeah. Michael, I want to dive. I want to dive back into your journey because I'm so enamored by it and about your growth. Like, like your mm-hmm. rate of growth is just beyond impressive. Let's go through this year by year. If you'll humor me. Absolutely. Um, you know, 2022, the, the plan is you'll probably be in the vicinity of 9 million, you know, upside 10, downside eight. Um, year one was 2018, right? That's when you started your business. Mm-hmm. Yep. What did that look like? Let's go through year by year. Year by year. Uh, so we, hmm. year one, uh, and I'll lay out, um, I think this is something that is really helpful for people to um, know. We started with uh, a person in the office. Um, so very first person, she was my fiance at the time. She is now my wife. Um, she is absolutely incredible at building and developing graphic design, making the imagery, putting our contracts, building websites, making forward facing stuff. So day one, it was all about let's, let's get our proposals, right. Let's get our contracts. Let's get our image, uh, put together and making your company look really professional from day one. The look. Yes. So that was the first three months was just, who are we and how are we going to present ourselves to the world? Okay. Um, the very first hire outside of her and she also ran our phones. So she managed all of the inbound outbound leads. If you call our office between eight and five and on Saturday, she was here to answer that phone and and to serve our clients. And it was so important to have that point of contact. Person number two was, uh, a salesperson to take on the estimating person number three. And that was in the third week was a door knocker. So these, these were all within three weeks. It, within you, the first month, it was... Your, your fiance was doing all this, and then you almost immediately hired a salesperson, and then almost immediately hired a door knocker. Yep. And so it you, was the you, three you, of us. You were, you were selling, you were paying when you didn't have revenue then, am I understanding? Absolutely. And okay. they were on staff. <laughs> okay, wow. So they had salary jobs. Um, they were being paid out of my personal bank account. So you just, you had some savings, and you were going to apply that to bootstrap this thing. Yeah. Okay. And it was, uh, for us, decent timing about February and in February in Denver, there's snow on the ground and it's cold and we're knocking on doors saying, can we paint your house the first week of March? Man. Uh, and sure enough, uh, it was a door to door lead, uh, that we painted the first week of March. So, um, and we ran door to door for our first, uh, two years of business, making sure that we had leads coming in. Uh, and that we were earning capital, which we could then use to invest in higher level marketing. Um, 
So I would say by May of our first season, I had three salespeople, uh, five people knocking doors and three project managers on staff. So hold on. May. So you started in February mm-hmm. and in May you had three salespeople, mm-hmm. five door knockers and how many mm-hmm. PMs? Three. Uh, technically two. The third was, I guess, in June. You had 10 people on staff three months into your business. Four, five, four, four, four months. Yeah. And you were, you were making enough sales to pay salaries for 10 people and you were no longer funding it out of your personal bank account. Correct. Absolutely. And the way that you did that, because it doesn't sound like you had done much. I, I know your wife put up the website, but it doesn't sound like you had done a lot in terms of the digital marketing space. You were able to find that initial attraction largely through the door knocking campaigns. Door knocking that year was about 40% of our revenue. 50%. Yeah. Um, is this SEO what you would advise time. other people to do? Like if they want to, if they want to grow really quickly, is this what you would say? Would you say, Hey, hire, hire an estimator and hire a door knocker and, and that be the way that you start? Yeah, absolutely. So door uh, it was to, kind of your, it was your initial catalyst. Absolutely. It's the lowest cost per job, uh, hands down. And I've analyzed, you know, 50 different lead sources. I've yet to see something beat it cost per lead for somebody who's decent at it. It's something that as an owner, I can control. Mm-hmm. I can control hitting doors. Yeah. I can control knocking at eight o'clock at night. Um, I can control knocking on a Saturday and a Sunday. And yeah. How did you find people? How did you, how did you choose the people to do this? How did you, how did you come up with the, with the system, the sales script? How'd you generate all that? You know, painting's a beautiful thing in that, you know, when someone needs to do it. (laughs) Um, Whereas a lot of other door to door, it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, um, that's what the, what those pipes look like and, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you have any bugs around your house? Are you trying to exterminate anything? Um, kind of when it comes, it, absolutely. Or if you're doing charity, uh, raising money for fundraisers, if you're doing any political knocking, you don't know what's sure. behind that door. Is it a red or blue? Is this going to go good or bad? It's sure. Um, but with painting every door you knock, you can objectively know they need to paint. Sure. Um, and then it was about finding uh, fair compensation, leading by example, uh, being a part of the team, looking for people with experience, knocking doors. And there's a ton of industries that rely on it. Uh, windows is another beautiful thing when it comes to door knocking and in field marketing. Um, similar to painting, you know, when somebody has old, outdated single pane aluminum windows. You, yeah. you can see it. So uh, when you knock on someone's door, it's a super simple conversation. Uh, I happen to notice you might be thinking about painting. Would you be interested in a free estimate? No. Do you guys offer okay. any sort of, sort of promo or, or anything like that? Or, or is it just, hey, we can paint your house? I don't think you need a promo at the door. Uh, and, and maybe there's times where it has something nice. Well, I've got some really great spring specials right now. And if you are thinking about doing it in the next year, we've got some spring specials. Mm-hmm. Are you sure you, you wouldn't be open to a free quote? Mm-hmm. I could have somebody out here in a couple of days. Yeah. Um, what, what's yeah. your uh, set rate on door knocking? And then what's your close rate 
on those estimates? My statistics would be rough. Uh, I haven't, uh, we've since the pandemic uh, in Denver, we had a shelter in place that went into place on March 17th. And uh, I, on that day, I let go um, seven door knockers Hmm. and I have not rehired uh, a door knocking team. Hmm. So, uh, and in 2020, uh, I just thought in good conscience, it wasn't appropriate to be going door to door, having face-to-face conversations. Um, I know not all companies stopped their canvassing efforts during the pandemic. Um, but we did. And I can tell uh, you, I had a, I had a couple unpleasant conversations, unpleasant (laughs) on my end, um, with some solar panel salesmen, uh, actually bought a, a little sign that said, uh, no soliciting, please don't make it weird. And then, uh, and then I would ask them whether they know how to read when, when they came to the door, because it seemed that they did not. So I think you made the right move. <laughs> um, and, and there was a lot of fear uh, around that. And, you know, in all fairness, knocking on doors is hard. Um, mm-hmm. Even for somebody who's done it for many, many years. And the very first painting company that I worked for, um, it was Andrew's painting. And he taught me to knock on a door. And my job was to knock doors and paint houses. Mm. Um, so I did that for him for uh, a year. And that was yeah. my introduction into it. Uh, so. so Michael, when you started this company, did you, and I know you were working for a large one before, so maybe you did go into it with this mindset, but obviously um, that's just ex- extraordinary uh, hiring growth, right? Yeah. Like four, four months in having 10 people. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. I, I've never, mm. I've interviewed a lot of painting company owners across the U S and I've never heard anything even remotely near that. Did you go into the business with that plan and say, Hey, I'm going to hire aggressively in year one, we're going to grow aggressively. Or was that something that, that happened? My, what I wanted to do was, uh, open up our original business model, uh, and tell you how wildly (laughs) short we came. Um, are you serious? So you, you were, you're doing almost 9 million in, in your fifth year and probably over 9 million and you are falling short of what you, of what you wanted. Absolutely. By far. Michael, uh, you, you are ambitious, man. I love I, this. I, I think year one, our revenue goal was three and a half million dollars. Um, and we did 2.2. So year one, you did 2.2. Yeah. And what a our, disappointing, Michael, I'm disappointed. I'm going to shooting for three right now. Um, and it was, yes, it's all about aiming high and falling somewhere reasonable and hoping that you, you can get by. Um, yeah. I had one of my teammates, uh, we were talking to another business owner in the industry and we were talking about goal setting and how goal setting is potentially one of the hardest things that I've been faced with in this position is what is that number and how do you project the future and how do you set good forecasts? Because every year we've missed our goal. <laughs> I, <laughs> we have not what hit our you goal supposed to be? Are, you, are you supposed to be at 50 million right now? No, but that is on a board in our office. I bet it uh, is, man. I know. And I it has a, get there too. It does have a day and a, a day and a month and a, a number and a number of people associated with it. Um, so yes, from day one, it was how many people do you need to create the revenue and fine tuning that model of what can you expect per person? So, um, and, and looking at each person is, you know, what is it that they're capable of producing or converting or setting? What's their workload? And um, things that I have underestimated, 
oh, people don't always work at 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, leads don't always come in at the highest level. Uh, people take time off. Where so are the robots when we need them? <laughs> uh, those are like uh, the little things that I've missed in the past uh, when you're going through and you're, you're laying out those projections of, okay, I've got this. Every estimator does 15 estimates a week and we have 52 weeks in the year. So let's say 52 times 18 or 52 times 15. And that gives us, okay, I can plan X amount. Now I've, there's a little bit of hyperbole in there because obviously, um, I don't look at a season as 52 weeks long and, but I, I looked at maxing every right. person's number right. out kind, and what, kind of the upside and not really accounting for the realistic scenario of what was going to occur. Absolutely. And it's something that we talked about here, uh, where I said, you, when you asked me what our goal was and I said, well, I've got three, I've got a, you know, yeah. maybe a good, better, best, or a, a worst case, best case, most likely case budgets. Yeah. And, um, when I heard somebody say that to me recently, you need to put together three different budgets for what's most likely, sure. what's the best case and what's the worst case. And it just, something clicked inside of my brain. And I go, oh, well, that's a beautiful piece of advice. Thank you. Uh, I've never looked at worst case. And frankly, sure. I've probably built a lot of my budgets off best case and those projections, uh, not recognizing that that's not the world we live in. Um, sure. We don't live in best cases most, most of the time. Yeah. Sometimes you do. Yeah. Sometimes it's lucky. <laughs> but yeah. Then you, you have a, um, you know, like a, a budget to actual or, or whatnot sheet and, and you can project every month or, or every, every week, however you do it, basically how on track you are uh, for hitting mm -hmm. your goal and, and what may or may not need to shift in your hiring plans and everything else. Yeah. What the, uh, I would say the number one change that I've had in my personal role running the company is I have more time to pay attention to those projections than I did several years ago. Mm. And, um, I think that attention to the plan has really helped get us a little bit closer to our goals. Um, last year we were only 300,000, 200,000 off. So nice. a little bit better than, uh, 40% off. Yeah, man. So for someone, for someone who's just kind of in, in awe, to be honest, I'm a little bit in awe of, of you and these numbers. Um, what, what are some pieces of advice or if you had to kind of prioritize one thing, okay, here's where your mind needs to be. If, if you want to have a chance of, you know, even if you might not think it's, it's aggressive growth, obviously most people do. If you want to have a chance of, of seeing this kind of level of growth, this is what you need to be thinking like. I would recommend thinking about an accountability chart. Okay. And I would think about an accountability chart of uh, current one year and three years down the road of what are the positions within your company that you'll, you have currently, what are those positions going to be next one year from now? And what are the positions going to be three years from now? Um, people, the team, the, the support, that's the key to doing it. Um, it's not something that one person can do. So really making sure that you have a plan for what are those different jobs? What do those jobs look like? What are the responsibilities that will fall into each person within that accountability chart and start mapping that out for growth? Um, and it tends to fall in a little bit of a triangular 
step of growth where um, in some positions, the more you add, the more you need. As you grow additional paint crews, you need additional foreman. Mm -hmm. So where is your procurement process for developing the skill set around foreman? Because it's not the same as an hourly. Mm-hmm. what's your employee retention around your foreman if you're going to go from one crew to five so be thinking about what it's going to look like down the road um would be my my first piece is look at the human component of it and then my second piece of advice would be to look at the financial component to each of those persons what is their responsibilities what's the earning potential for them? what's the revenue that they generate what's the amount of leads or, or workflow that they can handle. And unfortunately you have to turn people into numbers um, at that point and look at the forecast that way. Yes. So no, I think, I mean, this is a, a hugely different way of looking at business because you're, you're approaching it. And obviously you understand sales, the need for sales and none of this doesn't, none of this works without sales. And so you started mm-hmm. really aggressively focusing on sales. That's your background, but then you went into it, um, really kind of building out a future org chart and at the different levels of the business, what is required. Okay. How, and, and I love what's the earning potential and, and even people who are not directly necessarily contributing, um, to projects in terms of actually painting or even necessarily being a foreman on a project still have earning potential. What does that look like? What's their cost? What, what, and then, you know, kind of the upside downside, but you've, you just map this thing out. I mean, that's not how people look at it. You know, it's not, you know, people start a business and well, how do I get, how do I get more leads? Okay. How can I kind of close these leads? And you have to do that, but you've taken such a different level and you've essentially built out and correct me if I'm, I'm just totally off on this, but you basically almost built an imaginary empire in your mind. And then you just started filling in, filling in the pieces because you already knew what the pieces were. It wasn't mm-hmm. salsa. Oh crap. What do I need? Oh man. What, what am I being overwhelmed with? What, what should I outsource? You already know uh, kind of A through Z and I'm sure it changes, but you had a pretty good idea of A through Z when you were still not even at A yet. Is, am I thinking about this right? Or, or am I off? A hundred percent. I had, yeah, yeah. The, the business plan was written and it was written for five years out from day one. Uh, and we look wildly different than I expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, I will, you know, say it, be prepared for failure. Uh, mm even because all of those forecasts and the things that you project, they don't come the way you want. Sure. Not always. Sometimes they do. Um, and some people are wildly blessed with success and it make it all look easy, but, um, the mental fortitude to deal with, uh, failure is such an important thing. Um, did we fail year one because we didn't hit our revenue goal? I don't know. If you ask my accountant, they would say, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, if you ask my team, they would say not, a, not at all. Mm-hmm. So it's, and, and being prepared to walk through those. Um, I had a, a little bit of peace the other day, uh, as I spent a lot of time in the beginning of a year focused on putting together our projections and our numbers. And, uh, somebody, uh, smarter than myself said, Michael, give yourself a little bit of a break here. You're talking about telling the future. And (laughs) AI is here to do that. Um, And and he personally, he loves AI and he writes it and Mm. man, it just felt good to be like, well, thank you for saying that because um, I write the forecast, we plan the the leads and we, we identify the drivers and okay, if we turn spend this much here, we get this much here. Yeah. 
where, where's it going to break down in that process? And, uh, I think it naturally does happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Allowing yourself some, some latitude, uh, recognizing that, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, uh, things go wrong. And it's hard for us as business owners, entrepreneurs, you know, we're pretty type a, we're pretty uh, hard on ourselves. That that's kind of how we get to where we are, but we don't have other people. And we also don't have people really above us telling us like, Hey, it's okay. You're doing great. So I think, I think that's, and that's an important lesson. You know, it might be sound kind of soft or, or whatnot, but it's important. And if you want to have this mental fortitude and, and you want to be able to be in it for the long haul, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Entrepreneurship's a marathon, mm-hmm. not a sprint. And if you beat the crap out of yourself over every mistake, every missed thing, uh, you're not going to stay in that marathon. Yeah. It's, um, I'm listening to a Simon Sinek book right now. Uh, and it's called the infinite game. Mm. And, uh, I think that's something that I struggled with in the beginning was you work on something and you want to go check done. Yeah. Be done with Cross it. it off the list. It's complete. Well, you never have I to can't. work on it again. I, done. Uh, and, and it was a mindset struggle that, uh, I and my, my wife struggled with in the beginning of, we have to rewrite our contract again. No, we have to change it again. And, you know, at that point we were printing contracts and every time we'd have to make these edits, the like, it would, okay, we'll call the printer. We'll get them remade because this needs to be added or changed. And, um, that acceptance or realization that this is constantly improving and constantly moving forward and constantly requiring work. It's never done. It is infinite. Yeah. Uh, has it's been helpful. Um, and I've seen it in myself, uh, before re- listening to the book and then you start tying the, Oh, this is what I felt. And I experienced as I was learning that this is a continuous battle of improvement. I'm actually going to read, I'm definitely going to read that book. I'm going to read both <laughs> the books you, you mentioned, uh, they ask you answer, but I'm definitely going to read that Simon Sinek. My wife and I were actually talking about this today. One of the things we both struggle with and it is a bad thing to struggle with as a, as a business owner and entrepreneur is I want to be at the, the at the destination. You know, I, I want to be there yesterday, to, a year ago, I want to be there. And if you yeah. live with that mindset, if you, if you don't learn to embrace that journey, um, recognizing it will always be a journey. Cause guess what? When you get there, I mean, you're at 9 million. Most people can't even, that's not even really in the realm of what they think is possible for their life. And you are, sort of disappointed in, in, in a way because your goal is so aggressive. Oh, yeah. um, it's, you have to, you have to embrace it. It's a game. It's a game. We're playing a game. You know, we're, it's maybe not take life so seriously. <laughs> it's, it's easy to say, I guess. And, and I'm certainly not good at it, but I'm working on yeah. embracing that journey. Yeah. Um, and one thing I can I'd say, Brandon, uh, I have been an avid book consumer for 12 years now. Um, and I remember the day where I said, you know what, I'm turning my radio off. I've listened to enough of the same version of this song. I've listened to the same music enough and I got to turn on something that's powerful and will impact, uh, my life going forward. And that's when I turned on audible and I rarely turn it off. Um, so over the last, uh, five years, I think I've done, you know, 130 books, uh, that I've listened to, um, and probably studied about 15 of them. Mm. Um, you don't know what you don't know until you know it and you don't know where you're going to find those answers. Uh, and if you're constantly searching for the answer and 
you're in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing what the universe gives you if you're listening. So you, you use that opportunity, use the time in the car, use the time that would otherwise just be spent listening to the same renditions of the songs and, and expose yourself to books that might give you new ideas that might make massive impact in your life. And you just don't know until you've been exposed to all, all these different concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I will give a, a sincere shout out to Tommy Mello and for his influence. Cause he's given me many books. Do you have, can you recommend a few books right now? Um, I know you said, you said two, they ask you answer uh, by Marcus Sheridan and uh, Simon Sinek, the infinite game. Yeah. Um, the, if this feels like a, an absolutely ridiculous book, um, and I wanted to mention it earlier, uh, think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill, oh, I love uh, that book, man, nothing ridiculous <laughs> about that book. Uh, I still listen to it every year. Um, and it's an annual book. Uh, I've read it countless times. Um, and I will never forget the airport that I was in when I purchased, purchased it on my way to the first business conference in my, one of my first businesses that I was trying to get off the ground and I picked it up and, uh, I still have the same version that I've torn to shreds. Um, uh, that's another great one. Um, sales differentiation, scaling up. Uh, I've listened to many of the sales books that are out there, the Grant Cardone's, the Brian Tracy's, all of their sales content. Um, Profit First has been an amazing book for accounting. Um, the Two Second Lean uh, with Paul Aker, uh, as far as trying to improve our, our processes and our systems uh, has been wildly impactful. Um, yes, I've, I've got good. many a good amount uh, of books. Yeah. The, you know, one of the things I've noticed, Michael, and I do this, um, I'm also the, the host you've done it quite a few times is you said my name and you know, that, that, uh, that's because that's the sweetest sound in the world to me is my name from the, the think and grow rich. Yeah. So I can see you're implement, you're implementing it. And I feel when you say it and you say, well, Brandon, you know, it, it kind of, I perk up, I pay attention. I feel more valued. I feel more yeah. like you're paying attention and, and that for anyone who hasn't read that book, that's one of the things that, that Napoleon Hill talks about is, is you remember people's names, say people's name, and you'll connect with them on a, on a much deeper level. Uh, this I'm having all of our project managers read it right now. It's uh, how to win friends and influence people. Another one of those like ancient books that yep. somehow are timeless. Um, and he specifically talks <laughs> the, the names and the keeping people, um, yeah. Talking about themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So people, uh, people have figured it out. You know, the, the information's there if you expose yourself to it. Um, mm-hmm. wow. So Michael, I do want to touch on one other thing before we wrap up. Absolutely. So, and, and you don't have to take a deep dive here into your failures, but I, you said you, you kind of worked throughout your twenties on businesses. Are you saying that you, you started things that didn't work out this well? Did that happen? <laughs> yes, it did. Okay. <laughs> So, so you, yes. you, this was not your first foray into business ownership. No, um, lots of dreams, uh, very hard to execute. And I was missing, uh, a critical 
factor. Um, another uh, amazing book, Traction. It's one of the books that we've studied and I've had my leadership uh, study as Traction. And uh, in EOS, they talk about a visionary and they talk about an integrator. And uh, I would be nothing without the integrator uh, that I've had. And um, Rocket Fuel is a book that talks specifically about how a visionary and a integrator work together and how to find an integrator. Um, I am by solid definition uh and they even have a little test you can take and i was like a 98 percent visionary um and my wife is very much so falls on the integrator side mm. um could not have done it without the the right people yeah and that was something i was missing uh in every other adventure i'd ever gone on wow. was that person who was better than me at making things happen uh I'm good at dreaming the things up. Yeah. Man, so, um, I, in our last all hands team meeting, I apologized to the, the company and said, man, I know how hard it's gotta be to work for me because this thing's always <laughs> changing. <laughs> and as soon as you like something, I'm ripping it apart and giving you like the 2.0 version or Rework the 3.0 version. Yeah. Um, and I, guys, I know that that's gotta be difficult, but just look at what we've done over the last four years. And yeah. when you think back to our processes, then those revisions have been powerful. Um, and, and I can see the better version. Man. Um, that's been my blessing. Michael, do you have any, anything else you want to say? Any other advice you want to share with people listening? Stick with it. Stick with it when it, when it looks hard, um, stick with it when you're uh, stressed out and, um, and if it's not the right thing, uh, entrepreneurship and ownership is not, uh, for everyone. Um, it's really difficult. Um, there's a thing called being an entrepreneur, which is, uh, working for a company and participating and being fulfilled. And there are ways to be fulfilled, not, uh, ownership is not for everyone. And sometimes partnerships are just as good or better. So, um, I'd encourage people to seek you know, search their soul and make sure they're in the right boat. And if they are, and they want to succeed, find the right, find the right mentors, find the right people to help and support you. Cause the mentorship is, is the key. Michael, uh, thank you for your time. Um, congratulations yeah. on your success again. And I know you and I discussed, uh, some exciting plans that we have for, for, a 2023, uh, a little treat that we're going to bring everyone with you. So I'm excited for that. You'll probably be at 70 million, um, you know, by the end of 2023. So get to kind of ride along this journey and, and see you do it, but thanks for your time, man. You're welcome. Thank you, Brandon. It's been great talking. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing.
Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.